The way it started was that the states were starting to enter the Union as free states. This scared the South because they started to have fewer representatives in Congress. The South was scared about this because they thought that the free states were going to abolish slavery. The Missouri Compromise was a line at latitude 36 degrees 30 minutes parallel, where the states above were free states and the states below the line were slave states. The Missouri Compromise made the Fugitive Slave Law Act even more strict. Then the Kansas-Nebraska Act was enacted that overturned the Missouri Compromise, which allowed Kansas-Nebraska states to have slaves. The New England colonists then wanted to populate those states so they could have those free votes, but then the Southerners went over the line to vote illegally. The new territorial legislature modeled its slavery laws on Missouri's and instituted strict penalties for anyone who spoke out against slavery. The Northerners who had settled in Kansas and other free states advocates refused to acknowledge the legislature as legiment and set up their own free legislature in Topeka. This legislature created its own state constitution known as Topeka Constitution in August 1855. Although the goals of free state advocates were aligned with abolitionists, most cared little bit a little about the issue of slavery. Instead, they were part of the free soil movement, which called for free territory for white people. Free soil advocates believed that plantation agriculture made it impossible for most whites to homestead and wanted a white territory free of blacks, regardless of whether they were slaves or free. The pro-slavery government established itself in Lecompton in April 1856. That same month, a congressional committee investigated the legitimacy of the election that put the Lecompton government in place and concluded that it had been improperly influenced by outside forces. Even so, the federal government continued to recognize the Lecompton legislature as, its, as the only legitimate government of Kansas. Tensions between the pro-slavery and the anti-slavery groups rose and violent conf- confrontations occurred. On May 21, 1856, a pro-slavery group destroyed homes and businesses. Then an abolitionist, John Brown, led a group of other abolitionists and then murdered five pro-slavery activists. According to a letter written by Kansas settler, any act of violence could happen at any time. Violence traveled through the state and then and ended up with 55 people being killed. Some of these acts of violence were murder, sacking of towns, and sacking of businesses. Violence even traveled to other states like Washington, D.C., where a senator known as Charles Sumner was beaten with a cane by Congressman Preston Brooks. Bleeding Kansas was a dress rehearsal for the Civil War. It led to the succession of the southern states. It also showed the tenuous nature of compromises dealing with slavery. After Congress passed the Kansas-Nebraska Act, the decision to allow slavery in the states would be based on popular sovereignty. The violence, murder, and arson became known as Bleeding Kansas. People who lived in Missouri were pro-slavery because of tobacco and the immense amount of it. They wanted slaves so that they could work on farms. Missouri was taxed heavily for fighting the South's battles. Missouri held the South's rights. Kansas settlers were free soilers. They were opposed to slavery. When Missouri legalized slavery, Kansas wanted to rebel. Pro-slavery split the Democratic Party. Kansas wanted to petition the Union as a free state. An anti-slavery man was killed along the Kansas-Missouri border. 
This caused disputes between pro-slavery and anti-slavery believers. This series of wars was named the Wakarusa War. John Brown murdered five pro-slavery settlers, whom had not been involved in violence. Kansas was now chaos. The war would end slavery or it would end the Union. The war would commence until slavery no longer existed in any of the states or the Union would fall apart. Pro-slavery believers called this a crisis and a time for action. They wanted to have tens of thousands of men in Kansas and for people to give money. The federal government stopped the fighting. Looting Kansas destroyed $2 million worth of property and 200 people died. Kansas's mayor also got troops to stop the fighting in the pro-slavery and anti-slavery states. They set up a constitutional convention to vote, but they both approved slavery. It made slavery legal and permanent. Anti-slavery believers boycotted this. Pro-slavery believers submitted the document to Congress, but they refused to allow Kansas into the Union as a slave state. The fighting continued, causing the Civil War. Okay, so the anti-slavery forces, which were often referred to as the abolitionists, wanted many things from this series of battles known as Bleeding Kansas. Bleeding Kansas was a result of the Missouri Compromise of 1820, which allowed the Kansas settlers to decide if they wanted slavery or not from popular vote. The abolitionists were fighting for their vote and for their voice to be heard. They were anti-slavery, so they were fighting for this. Unarguably, one of the most famous leaders of the abolitionist side was John Brown, who lived from 1800 to 1859. He was an abolitionist during Bleeding Kansas, and he was seen by some as the crazy leader of the guerrilla band in Kansas in 1856 and the leader of the incomplete conquering of Harper's Ferry. Brown was a puritanical congressionalist who helped slaves escape to the north on the Underground Railroad as well, which exemplified the amount of depth of background that he has in an abolitionist leadership role. Brown and five of his sons journeyed to Kansas in 1855 to help defend anti-slavery settlers against the pro-slavery government created by Missouri. On May 23, 1856, John Brown journeyed to Potawatomi Creek with seven men in search of the pro-slavery men. While he was in Potawatomi Creek, he helped he killed five men and then fled back to Kansas as he fought in the irregular guerrilla warfare, which became known as Bleeding Kansas. Along with being famous for these events, Brown joined forces with six more abolitionists in order to create a slave revolt in the South, which began in Harper's Ferry, Virginia. Brown fled into Harper's Ferry with a dozen and a half men with the thought in mind that he was going to be able to conquer. However, none of the free slaves in Harper's Ferry joined his side, causing him to be captured two days post the beginning of the revolt. He was described as a martyr by the abolitionists and was seen as a terrorist by the pro-slavery forces. His life is important because of how it represented how extremely different the points of views between the abolitionists and the pro-slavery settlers were. So, in short... Bleeding Kansas was a compilation of the abolitionists fighting for what they believed in, with many bloody battles fought along the way. Bleeding Kansas was finally resolved when Kansas became a free state. However, as it is known, political and racial tension still lingered. <laughs>